0: Welcome to 353rd. I'm Anders Brownworth.
1: I'm Scott Barstow. We've got a special guest with us today. Brian Daly is the CEO and co-founder of a company called Ground Floor, which is in the commercial real estate crowdfunding space. Really interesting company. Brian's an old friend, worked with us on Republic Wireless. Brian, welcome to the show.
2: Hey, thanks, guys. Good to be with you. So, Brian,
1: give, uh, give our listeners just a little intro about what your company does and the problem you're trying to solve.
2: Yeah, Ground Floor is a micro lending marketplace that connects uh, investors with uh, independent real estate developers. So it's possible as an individual investor to start off with as little as a hundred bucks, uh, loan it to somebody who's flipping a house or building a new townhome, uh, and you know, as two examples, and to make roughly. Ten to twenty times what you'd make in the bank on your savings account or your CD. So we basically cut the bank out of the middle of real estate lending.
1: What's been the what's the obstacle to this traditionally, and why is this why is this space new and interesting? What why couldn't I invest in commercial real estate before?
2: Well, you could um, you could invest in commercial real estate. The fact is, the Wall Street has been manufacturing products for you to do just that uh, for quite some time, but they're Wall Street products. What's new and novel is that you, uh, as an investor, could have access to invest directly. And in fact, if you were in the top 2 or 3%, which I'm sure both of you guys are in the top 2 or 3% of earners in the United States uh, or wealth holders, uh, if you make over uh, $200,000 a year or have a million liquid, uh, the SEC, uh, Securities Exchange Commission in the United States, federal government, Uh, Considers you an accredited investor. And if you're an accredited investor, uh, you can invest in any private placement you want. And a private placement is just something, you know, it's an offering of securities that, uh, you know, isn't registered on a public exchange and doesn't go through governmental review before it's offered to the public. So if you're an accredited investor, life is good. You can invest in anything you want. If you're not an accredited investor, which is about 97, 98% of the United States, uh, you can really only invest legally in whatever Wall Street is manufacturing for you. Uh, and for the most part, for most of us, um, that's not a very good deal. Uh, these are black boxes that we don't understand uh, that come with high fees. Uh, and the Internet is blowing that up. That's what's happening. The Internet is blowing it up and it's doing, on the, doing it on the back of uh, what well, we're doing it on the back of some uh, some very interesting engineering of existing securities laws to apply them in a new way.
1: Interesting. So what's new and novel is that if I were, if I were in the you know, bottom 97%, as you, as you indicated, I would not have been able to put money in ground floor prior to, like, when did this all start?
2: Well, you know, there are two ways of looking at this, right? Um, Congress passed a law in 2012 called the JOBS Act. A lot of people know what that is. Uh, my co-founder actually helped write Title Three of the Jobs Act, which uh has attracted a lot of attention online. People who are into equity crowdfunding and have been tracking this know all about it. It's been very controversial because it's two years since the law passed and the SEC still has not approved the regulations to allow, you know, crowdfunding into companies or you know, real estate projects or whatever it is into securities. Uh, for the non-accredited 98%. And that's for a whole lot of reasons that go to the very core of what securities law is. Um, You know, that law has not been made effective yet by the regulators. So a lot of people two years ago were really excited about what would happen when, you know, Congress passed the law and the SEC would start to regulate a way for crowdfunding um, to take root uh, it hasn't happened. We actually started working a year and a half ago, to uh, because Nick was aware uh, of the difficulties in, in that law coming to pass uh, as he worked on it, and he knows a lot of the people in the business. So we started working a year and a half ago to devise a way to use existing securities regulations to affect the same thing. Hmm. Uh, and and so really, ground floor has has. And there, there may be one or two other people who have tried similar approaches, but we have a very novel uh, approach to securities regulation that opens that will, you know, in 2015, open this up to the whole country.
1: Very interesting. So, tell me how uh, doing crowdsourced real estate investment is different from me funding a project on Kickstarter.
2: Yeah. So, if you go on a Kickstarter you know and this goes to the root of i think of an interesting talk about what crowdfunding is right when i think of crowdfunding i think of exactly kickstarter or i think of a political campaign or i think of kiva right if you just go yeah. real old school right yep that's what crowdfunding is and there are three elements to it when i hear the word crowdfunding you know one is that you actually you know care about what you're putting money into right that you you, you have an affinity for it um you know, and on Kickstarter, you're definitely doing that. I mean, you're 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 buying a product, right? For example, or you're, you know, you're cheering on a, a small business person or an artist, and you're getting something for it, right? You're getting a reward. That's known as reward crowdfunding. The second essence of you know kind of attribute of crowdfunding that I think everybody recognizes is it's a lot of it's a lot of people putting you know pooling their resources usually online. Some people have suggested like, you know, passing the plate at church is a form of crowdfunding. I I don't know about that, but whenever people pool their money, that's definitely an element of it. Uh, And then the other element of crowdfunding, in order to be called crowdfunding that I think is important, is that it's accessible to everybody. That, you know, that it wouldn't be limited to, um, you know, an exclusive group of people. And the funny thing about crowdfunding is, uh, as a term, you know, Kickstarter fits it pretty well. I think we all we can all agree like that's a quintessential case of crowdfunding. Kiva fits it pretty well. Mm -hmm. Some of the ways that that word is being used today don't fit it well at all. In fact, some of what's happening on ground floor today, and we've we funded almost we funded four projects. We're close to funding our fifth now. Uh, You know, even on ground floor, I wouldn't say every investment that we receive or every deal that we do meets that criteria. All three of those, right? I mean, we really think of ourselves as a micro lending marketplace even more than we think of ourselves as is crowdfunding per se the way that I think, you know, Kickstarter uses that term?
0: Why? What's what's missing?
2: Well, I mean, we we fund projects that you know, for example, two of the projects we funded are houses in Southwest Atlanta. Yeah, right. They're in a neighborhood that you know really didn't fare well during the downturn. Um, there's a project here called the Capital Greenway. or sorry, not the Capital Green. It's, it's called the uh, the Beltline Project, and that project is revitalizing different areas of the city that are close by it. And this is one of those areas. So, you know, we, you know, ground floors and investors on ground floor funded a couple of projects there to renovate houses. It, they're fix and flips, right? They're six month renovations. Mm-hmm. They pay, you know, eight, ten, twelve percent interest depending on the project, and You know, it's not that people have an affinity necessarily for that neighborhood, right? I mean, we have people who are investing from Savannah, Georgia. You can only accept investments in Georgia have been able to over the last few months um, in this phase of our development. You know, we have people investing from Savannah or Macon, you know, or Atlanta. You know, I don't think people are investing. In fact, I know people are not necessarily investing because they have an affinity for that neighborhood or they think it's a great house or they want to help the developer, right? They're investing – because it's a good financial investment
1: interesting so you don't have that element of affinity with the thing that you're funding necessarily you're looking at it more strictly as a financial vehicle perhaps
2: well well, yeah i mean i and i think that's okay right i think that's part of what's going on on the web today i mean people are looking for ways to save you know to, to make more money on their savings to to build a future for themselves and if you're not wealthy um you know your your only options are whatever Wall Street wants to feed you, and this is a way to kind of get yourself a slice of that pie. Um, you know that that if you're an accredited investor, you would have you could, you know, as an accredited investor, you could find opportunities to invest in, you know, properties the same way a bank would, right? And make ten or fifteen percent on your money. You know, life is good as an accredited investor. You you know, the financial world is your oyster. Uh, that is not true for the rest of us.
0: Yeah.
1: And when the, is it? It's also true that when they passed the Jobs Act, one of the things everybody expected was that you would be able to do this kind of funding, that uh, private companies would be able to do this kind of funding as well. So instead of going the traditional angel route or having to raise money through, um, you know, through venture capital or whatever, one of the things that everybody thought the Jobs Act would provide is the ability for non-accredited investors to invest in startups, and we haven't seen that either.
2: Right. I mean, that was part of it. Um, that was part of what what was envisioned with with Title Three of the Jobs Act. Now, one of the things that people get confused about is there is Title Two of the Jobs Act, right? And Title Two of the Jobs Act, enables something that in securities laws known as general solicitation. So. The idea under securities law before Title II, and, and the SEC has passed Title II regulations, right, that make Title II effective. Title II changes securities law to enable something called general solicitation, which is let's say I had a, an offering of securities in a company, like let's say Ground Floor itself, right, I wanted to fund Ground Floor, or another startup.
1: You know, the
2: traditional uh, approach in securities law was you really couldn't advertise or tell people that you were raising money for the company because that's soliciting for a for a security, you would really need to make sure that somebody was an accredited investor and you know, you couldn't you had to have those conversations privately. You couldn't announce it publicly or, or advertise it. The SEC put regulations in place for to enact you know to to activate Title II. And Title II's general solicitation provisions do allow you to advertise. So hmm. if you're a startup and you follow the rules that are outlined, and there are a bunch of rules you have to Uh, register your intent to do this 15 days in advance. And if you fail to do that and get caught, you can get in a lot of trouble. You can be barred from raising funds for a year. (laughs) year. Um, So it's pretty tightly structured. But if you follow the rules, you can go out and place banner ads on the web saying that you're raising money, right? You can advertise Mm -hmm. the terms of your offering. What you cannot do is accept money from non-accredited investors, Mm -hmm. right? So there are also provisions that tell you what you have to do to make sure somebody's an accredited investor before you take their money. The marketplace, because Title III hasn't been uh, put, you know, hasn't been established with regulations or supportive regulations, the marketplace has started to refer to Title II general solicitation as crowdfunding. And I think that's a travesty. I hate that, right? I mean, Title II is not crowdfunding. No one ever used the term crowdfunding for that. And it's It's really just a few crowdfunding platforms who, you know, want to use the term to sound disruptive, Right. but they're not disrupting anything. All they're doing is taking the crowd out of crowdfunding. It's it's a travesty.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. So is the reason, I assume the reason that, uh, talk a little bit about why the SEC has these regulations in place for accredited versus non-accredited investors. Like, what's the intent and... And how is that, how is that whole landscape changing?
2: Well, it's changing in a way that, you know, as usual, regulations have got to keep up with what's, with what's happening in the real world. Um, The intent behind securities law, as it was written, was to protect people from themselves, right? right? It was to protect, you know, mom and pop, you know, investors in middle America from being swindled by unscrupulous people who would place private placements. Now, by the way, that actually happens anyway, right? But, but the intent of securities law is to punish it, you know, is to prevent it, um, identify it when it happens, punish it when it happens and establish, you know, very severe penalties, right? For that to dissuade people from defrauding others through securities, offerings of securities. Now, I believe that, uh, the internet makes us smarter, that uh, the free flow of information creates greater transparency, that reputation is accessible, that you know when I was sixteen years old, buying my first mutual fund with the money I made, and my dad sent me to the library to research what the hell a mutual fund was, uh, you know took me a couple of days to get that done and to find the information that information is all at our fingertips now, mm-hmm. right, so we live in a different age, and regulations have to catch up I, I personally think that um, you know, people are smarter than we give them credit for that, uh, you know, in, in law and in regulation, that people don't need as much protection as, you know, might be assumed. And that, you know, we should, we should, you know, because of what the web has wrought in terms of availability information and democratization of access to information, you know, we should change our regulations to tilt more towards freedom and less paternalism. And, and that's, that's part of the ethos of, of equity crowdfunding as a movement, right? It's, it's that, hey, wait a minute. You know, everybody should have access. You know, we shouldn't be beholden to Wall Street and dependent upon large financial institutions. We should all have a chance, right, to, to use the web and this world of information that's at our fingertips to make better choices for ourselves. And that's what we're trying to do with Ground Floor, right? We want to be a force for that.
1: So don't you think that uh, to some extent, you know, you're obviously you're out sort of plowing the ground here. You've got this. We saw this and Anders and I talk a lot about Bitcoin on this show. And one of the things that was interesting when the whole Mount Gox thing happened and and that whole thing blew up was that you saw all of the legislators, you know, worldwide started running to protect the little guy. Right. They started passing laws everywhere and. Trying to ban Bitcoin, as absurd as that uh, concept even is, and and it was interesting to see. You, you talked a little bit about sort of protection and paternalism, and do you do you have any concern that you know when not you guys necessarily, but when some company that's doing what you guys are doing um, does some unscrupulous deal and fleeces you know a hundred thousand people? that the That the legislature here in the u s will come raining back down with you know guns blazing and and sort of unwind all of the progress that's been made does that do you think about that at all and uh, I'm just curious
2: well you know i'm uh I'm a progressive so i I believe that progress can't be stopped uh I think it can have hiccups and it will uh you know eventually we will have a deal fail on ground floor, right? Eventually, um, somebody is going to flee somebody else via an offering of crowdfunded securities. That's going to happen, right? It happens already in the real world. I mean, Bernie Madoff, right? Yep, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it already happens, right? I mean, people are people. Um, scam artists are always going to uh, affect their scams. That That's just part of being a human being in the world that we live in. So uh, I don't think that... Uh, Anything we're doing with crowdfunding is going to prevent that. I do think that it can, um, you know, and and I also don't think that once the genie's out of the bottle, that there's much that can be done to stop it. Uh, I think, you know, for example, at Ground Floor, we are following the rules exactly as they are written. Uh, We are conforming to every uh, bit of securities law. We are working very closely with the regulators. We are doing everything above board. We are willfully. Uh, you know, being regulated, right? We are embracing the regulation. Um, so I think people who do that, and there are others who are in the crowdfunding platform space who are taking the same stance. I think those people are on the right side of the issue. Uh, I think we're on the right side of the issue. And, and I think when something goes wrong, it will go wrong in an ordered and structured way. It doesn't mean that legislators won't want to look at it or that some attorney general somewhere won't, you know, you know, rain fire down on it. They will, but I think the web is strong enough to withstand it. And I don't think, I think this represents real progress and I don't think real progress can ever actually be stopped. Hmm. And that's just a, that's a philosophical statement, but, but I, I think that's a, that's true about Bitcoin and I think it's true about crowdfunding.
0: Interesting. So you're going to bring the two together at all? Bitcoin and, uh, and, um, ground floor
2: oh yeah we want to um we have a lot of demand amongst our user base to to use bitcoin so you can expect that we we love anything that reduces transaction cost
0: yeah yeah that's the big that's the big benefit of uh of bitcoin i think certainly in in this scenario is uh transaction uh cost
2: yeah and so you know we've We've looked at several ways of incorporating Bitcoin. I think the really interesting thing from a Bitcoin perspective—that I mean, sure, we can accept Bitcoin. You know, there there are vendors out there, many of them today, who we can use to accept Bitcoin and then, you know, um, convert it to dollars and then use those dollars to build real estate projects. What would yeah. be really interesting is if you could actually invest Bitcoin.
0: Yeah, right.
2: So we've been investigating ways to allow that. Nobody lets you invest Bitcoin in any real stock or real
0: estate well, investments does there's there are oh, they do? yeah right. yeah you can buy uh and fund corporations via bitcoin that operate in bitcoin only uh it's a little murky uh you know in, in terms of regulatory at this point but uh people are definitely doing it
2: i mean i think what would be interesting is to be able to invest this virtual currency which i know i'm well aware it's more than a currency but that's the way a lot of people think of it uh you know to invest this virtual currency in real assets i think yeah. that'd be killer
0: yeah agreed
2: you know yeah. that's what we want to affect cuz i agree yeah. i think it's a it's a it's another tidal wave in the world that you know it's kind of like people are like well we somebody's going to stop bitcoin i'm like good luck you, it's like saying you're going to stop email
1: yeah yeah or maybe even more difficult than saying you're going to stop email
2: yeah
0: <laughs> yeah
1: yeah Good luck. Yeah. What are the, uh, what are the things, uh, just to wrap up here? What are the things that as you, as you go through this, what are the things that keep you up at night? What are the things that concern you about setting aside the regulatory stuff? Like what are the, what are the biggest hurdles that you guys are up against right now?
2: Well, we're, they're twofold. Um, one, you know, we're a startup and you know, you guys talk to a lot of startups. So you, you know, it's the typical startup execution challenges in our case. We just launched uh, a, uh, a securities offering that's the largest of its kind of crowdfunded securities ever offered in any sector. Um, you know, certainly in our real estate vertical, it covers 43 million Americans across six states. So those states are Massachusetts, Illinois, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Arizona, and of course Georgia, where we started. That's sort of stage two. That is stage two on our march to addressing the entire country, and that will enable people in those states to start investing this summer, um, you know, in our projects all over the country, which is awesome. It also poses an executional challenge for us as a startup, right? So we have all kinds of execution work to do to get to these new markets, spread the word about ground floor, hmm. you know, convince people that it's actually legitimate, uh, cause nobody's ever heard of this, right? It's a, it's an unknown company in an unknown category with an unknown product, right? Um, so it's very new for people and it's a lot to absorb. So we have our work cut out for us just as any startup does. It's bringing something new to the market and trying to expand quickly. That's one thing that keeps me up at night. The other is on the um, project side of our business, You know, we have to become very efficient at, bringing, at identifying new projects to fund, um, bringing them up on the platform, doing a good job of pricing the risk. And of communicating the risk in a very transparent but um, you know efficient you know way for people because nobody sits and reads the whole prospectus when you buy a stock or a mutual fund right nobody nobody does that right nobody wants to spend time reading the fine print for a hundred dollar investment it's not worth it right so we we're building um, a way to bring those projects onto the site and then if you know give investors a very highly efficient way of you know, deciding what they want to put their money into. Um, and, you know, that's a, that's a lot of work. You know, that's, that's a, but that's where the reward is for us. When we get really good at that, we're going to scale up quite quickly. And I think this will be a very, um, you know, a, a, a very successful uh, high-growth startup when when we hit that point.
0: You know, the, <laughs> the funny thing about prospectuses is uh, exactly this kind of a problem was being had in the regulatory regulated side, so the response to it was to make a summary prospectus, which yeah. which nobody really, I would argue, fully reads either. Right. Um, so you're essentially coming up with with summaries of your summary prospectus for the web for a well, hundred dollar investment.
2: I'd put it this way, right? We want to make it. Uh, Better than easy, we want to make it smart and easy Mm -hmm. for people to put small amounts of money to work, you know, that's adequately diversified. And in fact, we want to make it fun, right? So if, you know, it should be like the web itself. If there's one point of failure, it shouldn't ruin the whole system, right? Um, So really, just internet sort of uh, ideology is just built into everything we do at Ground Floor, right? Just we understand that. (laughs) <laughs> the the power of weak ties, right? That's what we want. We want diffuse weak ties and we want that across our business um, and we want it across our investors' portfolios and we want to help, you know, as we grow, that's one of the rewards of having lots and lots of projects on our platform is that people can spread the risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's a lot of money to be made in doing that. So uh, I, I think, um, you know, yeah, nobody's going to read you know, spend 20 minutes researching an investment opportunity for a hundred bucks. Um, but equally if they're making decisions based on 20 seconds, right. Uh, and that's all we give them. And, and in 20 seconds you can't learn very much. That's not very useful either. So somewhere in the middle, yeah. um, I think is where the magic's going to happen. But yeah,
1: is, so it's, like there's a, there's a combination of, you know, ratings for the guy who's building the house or renovating the house. Like you've got that whole element. That you would traditionally have, whether it's Airbnb or any of these other huge internet companies where uh, eventually what you'll have is uh, if the guy is successful, he's going to have, you know, 105 star ratings on your platform and that, you know, that guy's going to either be able to charge more or charge less, I guess, or pay out, pay out less in interest because it's a safer investment. And then you're going to have the guy who's brand new on the platform who nobody's heard of before. That guy's going to have to pay, you know, fifteen percent instead of ten.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, look, our early customers understand this very well. Yeah. You know, they're willing to overpay on their first deals in order to to build an audience, right? I mean, they they understand it quite well. And you know, reputation, the, the web does reputation pretty well. You know, we've learned how to do that.
0: Yeah, yeah I think the thing here is uh, that we're really talking about is information removal um in in roll-up prices so i started thinking about uh lending club and, and they roll up a, a number of yes. things under a prospectus and effectively yeah. remove that really granular information who is the builder uh what exactly are they doing uh, what, what's the opportunity what's the neighborhood like all of these things are effectively removed so you 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 know, and they're classed out into a, this person is a, you know, a credit rating of whatever. And that's how you make your decision. I would argue the worst, uh, execution of that is, uh, is what happened in, in Wall Street in 2008 when, you know, loans were batched up and information was removed so much that right. nobody A even knew who the, uh, uh, who owned what property at the end of the day and and so much information was removed that you could bundle something really great with something really bad um
2: yeah i, so, I think i think bundling is a mistake uh, i don't think yeah. we will go that direction i think we as a principle, we always we you know one of our core values is, is transparency and so we always you know They're in real estate, real estate's a local business. So there will always be people who want to double click down and see, you know, what's under the hood just out of interest. You know, people who watch house flipping shows or just, you know, are curious about real estate development, right? We always want to provide that level of information for people. We never want to abstract that away, but we also don't want to require it, um, you know, for people that don't need it, that are making lots of small bets, um, and, you know, they should be making them on criteria. I think what Lending Club has done is pretty smart um, in balancing that. And I think ours will be, um, you know, we look at Lending Club a lot. Our business is quite similar. And I think it'll, if you like Lending Club, you'll love ground floor. Yeah, um, There's no question about that. But I think over time, we'll look more and more like that. But it'll be different because it's real estate. And real estate is different. There's an asset underneath it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's, that's going to, that's always going to, make it somewhat different but i said so, well we so, think about it the same way that you're describing it yep.
0: yeah yeah right so so uh before lending club there was prosper and prosper yes. you know it kind of appeared on the marketplace and you could drill all the way down and then they got removed from most i don't know how many states but a lot of states uh and they they got cut off i think all completely and then they got california or so they got like they were way down to like one or two states for a while there, um, and that made the opening for Lending Club, which came in with a with a right. much more kind of a package. Like, uh, yeah. you know, they even, did,
2: by the way, even Lending Club to this day is only available in twenty twenty four states. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like you, in in our home state in North Carolina, you can't invest in Lending Club.
0: <laughs> really? Huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so it it seems to me that I mean you know this is kind of from the I uh, I both Prosper and and Lending Club. But uh, it it seemed like Lending Club's answer to Prosper's uh, perceived weakness uh, was to remove some of the information, make it so that you couldn't click all the way down and, you know, hear Jim Bob's defense of why he needed, you know, $500 for, you know, to pay back his credit card or something. Um, So it's a, you know, it's a different I, I suppose you have to figure out where you are on the information line. It always seems to me that uh, uh, more is better as long as it's packaged right. Yes,
2: um, that and that is exactly the problem space yeah. right there. Yeah, <clears throat> more is better. We favor transparency, but we also favor simplicity.
1: Yeah. What's the before we go? What's the role of what's the role of banks and traditional financial institutions? We've seen the internet break down and crush. You know these monolithic industries. this feels like it has the feel of something that could go that way. What's the role of a bank you know five, ten years from now when ground floor and other companies like it are 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 cranking and you know we've broken through all the regulatory problems and this is a this is kind of the preferred funding model um and we're already seeing this in Kickstarter. A lot of projects are going to Kickstarter instead of raising money in traditional ways, yeah. Uh, whether you know, I might have gone and gotten gotten an SBA loan uh, five years ago. I go on Kickstarter and I raise five hundred thousand dollars in four in four weeks, and it's you know I take the risk out of out of the equation because the risk is spread across hundred thousand people instead of you know
2: one bank. So what's yeah.
1: the, how do you see the role of a you know traditional financial financial institution as this goes forward?
2: Well, it's interesting because if you're a bank, I got to think well. As it, you know, as the story of disruptive uh, technology has been written uh, by Clay Christensen, right? Um, I kind of wonder whether the banks are worrying about this or not. They really should be because they're under attack from a lot of different um, angles. I was just there's an interesting special report in the, in this week's Economist that talks about the rise of shadow banking, hmm. um, and it talks about you know, sort of private placements usurping. Um, a lot of the lending that banks used to do that maybe they can 't even do, and so it 's not just kind of crowdfunding or peer to peer lending that or you know that really faces the banks there 's a there 's a tidal wave of financial innovation that is just it 's just born of the things that the web does well i mean the web does you know low transaction cost high transparency um well Right? In, yeah.
1: And you even like see it, you right? even so, see them with companies like Wealthfront who are uh you know disrupting the investment space
2: absolutely, by right? applying
1: science and algorithms to investments instead of humans. Right.
2: There are so many examples. It's a very exciting time and an exciting space, right, to be an entrepreneur. I think the banks are always gonna be with us. Right? I mean, these institutions are elemental in society. Um, You know, the question is just going to be where are they most impactful and, you know, what what do their portfolios look like over time? And one never knows um, what the limit of disruptive, you know, innovation is or disruptive technologies. Right. We never know um, how far they'll go before they start to change. You know, what won't they change? I mean, that's the question. Right. It's, It's really hard to say. Uh, well, or or see the second order effects because you know I'm sure that the banks are gonna at some point are gonna need to make some acquisitions in this space and they will they'll actually become supporters of some of the things that are happening some of them will morph to that some of them will die <laughs> you know I, I mean, yeah it's like, see, you know,
0: see here's the thing here's, like when was last a a, a bank uh, disruptive right I, I don't think they're worried I, they're I they're they're because they run their businesses by looking at formulas and, and seeing where we are on the, uh, you know, on the spot. They are not, and you know, they're going home and sleeping well at night. They're not, you know, ha- having their nose to the ground and understanding, uh, you know, what the, what the potential of the internet is, you know, for their business. They're like, no, it, d- it doesn't matter. And well, they'll find the, out, I think. The
2: smarter ones will incorporate it gradually. Right. Agreed. For themselves. They'll do it by acquisition. They'll do it. You know, the smarter ones will find the places that it matters to their business and they'll join forces. Yeah. Right. The dumber ones will just continually. I mean, Click Christensen wrote about this quite eloquently in his original book. They will just march up the value curve and seed, you know, they will seed ever larger parts of their market to people who are attacking from below. Yeah. And that's the way this will play out in banking as it has in. Many other industries that have been well documented and researched. So, I mean, I, look, banks, you're right. Banks, those guys are going to sleep well at night. They have tons of money, right? There's always a role for them. You know, the types of money that a bank can put, the, the volume of money that a bank can put to work, you know, efficiently uh, far exceeds what the crowd could do today. Um, but that may be just a function of time and development, right? Well, nobody, uh, nobody uh, yeah. Nobody knows what. The, time cycle is for that.
1: Yeah. And right. I think if you start to think about things like, uh, am I able to put my personal savings somewhere else in the future? Um, and and have an internet company be more like a traditional bank where I can earn, you know, a safe rate of return and uh, and then they get to go and, and invest that money in interesting ways in companies like Ground Floor. Gets, starts to get you start to play this out over the next twenty years. And you can see the whole sort of financial institution model really starting to stress. Um, and I think the other thing that informs this is just overall stress on the economy in general uh, when the federal government has to prop up banks and keep interest rates at zero percent uh, and, you know, and f- try and not keep the country from you know, going over the cliff. That opens up opportunities for companies like yours because your, I mean your your company's not interesting if the banks are paying eight or nine percent interest.
2: Well, your actually, gets, gets if, if the banks were paying if the banks were paying eight or nine percent, I think that would be because of macroeconomic factors that would allow us to pay, you know, a lot more.
1: Yeah, maybe 20% you're saying 23% at at that point. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I
2: think I think I think whatever it is that allows them to charge more allows us to charge more. Yeah,
1: that's probably true. That's fair.
2: Well, hey,
0: Brian, that's thanks it.
1: for thanks it's for coming it. on.
2: Yeah, you bet. It's always, it's, uh, on and, always a pleasure. Yeah, and um, Well, tell but, tell
0: us how we how we get to you. What's the URL? Yeah. Tell us that stuff.
2: So, the URL is uh groundfloor.us. Uh and uh Twitter handle is uh at ground floor underscore US. Those are the best two A's. And my personal Twitter is uh, brian underscore dally, D-A-L-L-Y.
1: You guys need to check Brian's company out. He's doing great stuff, and we're excited about, uh, about what's going to happen with Ground Floor. Thanks, Brian. You bet.